David Eicholt, Sean Balk, HawkeyeInsider.com. Swarmcast is back and better than ever. Football season is around the corner. We have a, a lot to discuss. I mean, you talk about a fully loaded, normalized media day, Sean, that we didn't get last year. Uh, the scrimmage, which was surprising, and I think something in a lot of ways compared to what we've seen in previous years uh, in the latest about Iowa recruiting, as well as Hawkeyes in the NBA, which is a phrase that we haven't uttered for, <laughs> for quite a while. But uh, things are locked down. But, Sean, you're back in Iowa City after a, a nice summer and uh, the home stretch for you, man. It's, uh, college is almost coming to a close for you. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy to think about. I mean, I know there's the cliche that, you know, four years goes fast, in my case, four and a half years. But, yeah, it went crazy fast. And especially when you take into account all the COVID stuff that happened, my technically my senior year kind of getting gypped out, um, especially in the fall and, you know, the end of my junior year, um, that kind of put a damper on everything. But, yeah, one more semester and, you know, hopefully we'll have some uh, – some uh, good news coming up in the next couple of weeks regarding that. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens this fall and, you know, kind of taking everything to the next level. Yeah, I know. Definitely, man. It, uh, man, it's kind of wild that it, you know, you talk about four years fly by Sean. I mean, this is my fourth football season now covering Iowa and I, it seems wild because it literally feels like I got here last year. I mean, it really feels like I'm still so new to the market and I'm new to doing all this. And, you know, it's been a it's been a good ride and I'm happy to see where we are. And it's it's crazy. But uh, football season is rolling back around. We got fans in Kinnick Stadium from all accounts and everything sounding like I believe there's about five thousand tickets left. As, as I believe we got that update for on Friday. There's five thousand tickets left for Iowa, Indiana. I mean, I bet it's going to sell out. But that's for people who are still wanting tickets. Remember, tickets are also Mobile only. There's not going to have any paper tickets this year. So be sure to take that into account as well. But Sean, yeah, let, let's what, dive what, in. What, Dave, what happens if they don't sell out? Do they still consider it a sellout? I mean, this isn't Nebraska, so I'm not quite <laughs> sure about that one. Uh, but, you know, uh, let's. we have a lot to get to, Sean. I mean, you talk about a fully loaded media day, and I got to give University of Iowa props for the way they handled it just because we got everybody that we wanted to available and, you know, obviously with name, image, and likeness, things were bound to change as far as who can talk. I thought it was a good move by Kurt Ferentz to let the true freshman talk for the first time in, I think, 13, 14 years or so since Julian Vandervelde uh, was on campus. And I think, you know, DJK, I don't think, was allowed to talk back in 2011. But it, it's good to have that opportunity again. But, Sean, I guess let's just dive into some of the top storylines that people want to talk about, and we can just spout off from there. But uh, defensive line, I think that's the number one concern uh, outside of Spencer Petrus, just because he's obviously, I think, the X factor to how far this team can go. But you've written a couple stories on defensive line. Let's just go back and forth on it. What were your takeaways from media day? And then we can transition into kind of what happened in the scrimmage. Yeah, I think the cliche that we've seen, using the word cliche way too much already today, but <laughs> I think the thing that We've heard, I mean, we heard it at Big Ten Media Day, too, with Zach Van Valkenburg. He mentioned that, you know, a lot, a lot from the outside, there's not really much confidence in this group. And I think from the inside, it's a completely different feel. Now, I thought it was interesting. Kirk mentioned on Saturday after the Kids Day practice where someone asked him about how he would assess, assess the defensive line. And Kirk just straight up said, we're young. And I think maybe that's sort of his way of, saying like we got inexperience on the inside or, you know, on, on the edge outside of Van Valkenburg. I mean, John Wagner brings experience. Joe Evans brings experience, but they're not guys like, you know, Chauncey Golston. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have Zach Van Valkenburg there, but, you know, they really need him to take on that next step this year. And, you know, especially on the interior too, I'm really fascinated to see how that goes. We saw with uh, um, Black and not Noah Shannon, the other day, but Logan Lee stepped in there. There were a number of defensive tackles that were out, so we didn't really get a great feel for all that. We saw Lucas Van Ness in there a little bit. They put Deontay Craig in there as well, um, kind of mixed and matched a little bit. I know the staff is really high on black, as we've talked about all spring, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think there's reason to be a little bit concerned about the defensive line. Now, 
you know, it's going to come up like it's Iowa. Like they always find a way to put these guys back and, you know, raise the standard of the, of what people expected from the beginning. But I think this year is a little different because you have a team like Indiana who is so talented in the season opener. You're not, you're not facing an FCS squad in the season opener this year. Yeah. You know, you got Iowa state who is going in, who has a lot of hype around that program going into maybe, you know, potentially their best year as a program ever. And those are your first two games right off the bat and taking to take, make sure you remember this too, that Kent state is, you know, they're a Mac team, but they're going to be the favorite. They're probably the favorites in the Mac with the offense that they have. Um, that's week three, correct? I don't know the schedule. In I believe I should, I should that's know this. Week, I believe that's week three. But yeah, like you mentioned, I think they had one of the more explosive offenses in the country last year. And I, I mean, totally different caliber of competition, but some yeah. of the stats are pretty eye popping uh, to say the least. I right. believe Kent State's week three. I think Colorado State's week four. That sounds that sounds right. Like you said, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but you know, like you mentioned. It, it was interesting too, listening to to Kirk after uh, after the practice, Sean. That it's been already a very weird year for Iowa injuries. I mean, you think about where else in the country, maybe besides Nebraska, does a offensive lineman get hurt by jumping off a hay, like get hurt while bailing hay and jumping off the haystack and breaking? I think he broke a bone in his foot. Uh, he's get Kyler Schott's going to miss the early part of the season. Uh, he does expect. Kirk does expect him to be back for the early portion of the schedule, I think is the way he phrased it. But then you look at YA Black, uh, who did play, by the way. He is back at practice. But I think he got off to a slow start in fall camp, Sean, because what what Kirk say? He slipped getting out of the shower and had some really weird injury. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's it's just a very weird year. But like you mentioned, I think Noah Shannon wasn't able to play. Louis Steck wasn't able to play. But, you know, if you – it's a, like you said, I think young is the best way to describe it. I think it's very potential filled, but I think Joe Evans was the second most experienced defensive lineman coming back. And I think he only played 187 snaps last year. Like that shows the inexperience of this line. And like you said, when you go up against Indiana and Iowa State's going to be no joke, Brees Hall, and they got every, you know, I think everybody back among that offensive line, Iowa's going to have to create some pressure, or I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the shoulders of Jack Campbell, of, of Justin Jacobs, and of Seth Benson to really get those stops and to go blitz and put some pressure on the quarterback and try to stop Brees Hall in the backfield during week two. But I saw some good things. I thought Joe Evans had a few really good plays who, you know, got off the edge and stand up rush. I think Van Valkenburg showed he's easily the best edge rusher of, of the pack right now, but the pass rushing is where he needs to take, take a step forward. So I think it'll be interesting to watch, but let's flip over the offensive line, Sean, because I think we could talk 10 minutes about each unit, just about what we saw. But the offensive line was interesting. Linderbaum was dominant as per usual. Uh, but Mason Richmond was running with – had quite a few reps with the ones, and I think you mentioned this on our board to our VIP member, Sean, but I think it is an open competition right now to who really does lock down that second tackle spot. And from what I saw on Saturday, I think Nick DeJong – probably has one of the tackle spots locked down, you know, barring, I think, any setback or barring uh, just not playing well in the final half of camp. Yeah, and I think when Kirk mentioned Mason Richmond, I think Scott Docterman asked him about that left tackle position, and Kirk said, you know, I don't even want to guess who's going to start at that position or at any position, really, um, you know, besides running back, quarterback, it seems, and you know, secondary and linebackers. And Linderbaum. But, yeah, and Linderbaum. <laughs> and even, like, on the interior, I think Cody Ince has that guard spot locked down. I think Justin Britt, while Kirk didn't want to admit it, I think he's the guy. He he had a, he had his moments on Saturday. I thought there were a couple times that he got beat on the interior. I know Deontay Craig beat him when uh, Craig lined up a tackle. Um, And who else was there? I Yeah, and then you had Mason Richmond on the outside at left tackle and uh, I think DeJong, Nick DeJong has that – I'm just botching names today. Um, <laughs> I think he has that right tackle spot locked up. I also thought it was interesting that Kirk said on Saturday as well that they like to keep Colby, Connor Colby, retro, or true freshman at that one spot at right tackle right now. But George Barnett mentioned on Friday that they could put him inside as well. But I think the thought is that he'll stay 
at that tackle spot. But, yeah, I, I definitely think there's an open competition now at the left tackle spot based on what Kirk said. I mean, I think, you know, it's good. I've mentioned this before. I think it's good that there's competition, but I think the staff would really like to see one guy in particular step up and take on that role. I, I, I thought in the summer that Plum would be the guy to do that. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that you won't do that. I think it's more based on he's him starting those last two games of the season last year. And now you see Richmond. I mean, Mason got snaps last year, I believe, at guard. And he's a guy that could play both spots as well. And I think he's, in the long term, I think he's more of a tackle. And I think the staff kind of sees that as well. But, yeah, I just think when you talk about the offensive line, right now you're looking at you're looking at, at right tackle. You have Nick DeJong at right guard. That would be Britt. Center Linderbaum, left guard, Ince, and then left tackle. I think it's kind of up in the air at this point, but I think those four other spots are locked in as of now. Yeah, you know, and obviously Keller Shaw will get the spot back after just when once he comes back from from his injury. But right now, if I had to guess, I don't think he'll be back till at least week three because based on trying to read in between the lines, which is what we do in media day, Sean. I think shot kind of gave off the vibe that he wasn't going to be ready for Iowa state. But I mean, of course things could change, but by the way, he kind of phrased it and the way he kind of talked about it, he, he, he wrote it. I didn't see him use that. Like he was that confident. I, I think Britt has the advantage right now because if he's hundred percent healthy, which I believe he is, Kirk has been raving about Justin Britt's basically ever since he got on campus. I remember he talked about how he has more knowledge than a lot of his third year guys. Uh, he's always a really, I think he's a really dominant player, but I also think that it's still a little bit of an open competition. I do think Britt is going to get the start. Tyler Ellsbury might be in that backup role there. I, I think, I would think he's the next guy up. Wouldn't you say, Sean, I would say Ellsbury is probably, probably that guy. Yeah, I would say he's there. I think Josh Folk, I don't want to say he's next up, but I think he's in the mix eventually. I think he's a year away yeah. from being, you know, right in that mix they would love to have shot back but i think Britt, you know there's a chance that maybe he takes the job and if he does well in those first two weeks like does it turn into a jack kerner situation where you know he steps up for a guy injured and takes on the starting role i mean maybe maybe we some maybe we see something like that i know shot is really valuable to this offensive line just as like a just a model of consistency and leadership especially for a group that, you know, outside of Tyler Linderbaum and, you know, technically Cody Ince is relatively young. So that's going to be really fascinating to watch over the next next couple of uh, – or the first couple of weeks of the season to see how that offensive line, you know, goes. Because I think there's – outside of Linderbaum, I think there's a chance that we could see more rotations too because, you know, Nick DeJong, I feel like he has that right tackle spot locked in. But – I think there's potentially a chance where you could see some rotation. That's where kind of, you know, maybe I'm looking into it too much, but that's where I kind of got a hunch when I was talking to George Barnett. He kind of feels that, you know, you're, if you're the second guy, it's only a matter of time until you're the first first team guy if all goes to plan. And you never know. You're always one snap away. Yeah. That's, that's something to think about too. If you have a guy that is in that second spot, I think the staff, you know, feels comfortable about the centers or, you know, the whole, the starting offensive line at those four spots, but they also feel comfortable putting in those second string spots guys too, you know, being, being that one snap away. So you never really know. It's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I think with an Iowa offensive line, I mean, you saw it a couple of years ago where it struggled. I think this group has potential to be really good, but you know, there is still some question marks with how, how things are going to shape up come week one. You know, something I think that we haven't really mentioned about the offensive line, Sean, what about just how much they grew from spring to fall camp? I mean, in the spring scrimmages, Sean, I thought they were, it was bad. I mean, I, I, but to be fair, and I did write this, the offensive line is usually going to be the worst position group in spring ball. And, but the amount of growth that I think they've shown, it was pretty, pretty crazy to think. Let, before we keep going, I don't really want to keep going position by position, but let's go Let's go this route, Sean. I have my easy answer for this, so I'll, I'll answer first, and I'll give you a minute to think about it. 
the biggest surprise from this from the scrimmage on Saturday for me, hands down, it was not. I mean, you you could probably say that how the offense outplayed the defense. We'll get to that. But I just thought how good the running backs were as a whole. I mean, yeah. Iowa's running backs they were Tyler Goodson was Tyler Goodson. Gavin Williams looks like he's going to be that consistent five to six yard caliber guy that has potential to break through. I think he showed some nice patience and vision and a little bit quicker feet than I think we've seen from him. Uh, But I also, man, Ivory Kelly Martin looked as healthy as he has in the last three years. I mean, he was fast. He was quick. He caught the ball out in space a couple of times. He was doing some good stuff. And I I didn't want to say I counted him out of the running back rotation, but I thought Gavin Williams would, just yeah, as far as skill set wise, I think he complements Tyler better. But Ivory, I thought, showed some really nice things. And then LaShawn Williams, he might be in contention to play this year because what we saw out of him, you talk about the just he had a, what, a 60 yard run. I think he was stopped within the 10 yard line, maybe the five yard line. He had a 47 yard touchdown run on top of that. He was breaking tackles, he was patient. And I think as a whole, Sean. Iowa's running backs were following the blockers at a very high level. For how young that room is, that can be one of the more difficult things to teach. I thought Williams did a great job. Uh, he broke a lot of tackles. I mean, these weren't just giant holes. I think the offensive line did a nice job. But it was a very good combination of both, I think, complementing each other. And I'll even go down the line and say Devin Hilson, the true freshman running back. Obviously, he's going to retro this year, and now he's not going to play barring injuries. But for a guy that hasn't played much running back, from the limited reps he had, I thought he looked pretty good on that first run. I think it was the outside run, broke two or three tackles, stiff-armed a guy, got probably a solid 13 yards. When a guy doesn't play running back, you really don't expect to see that that early, and especially only a couple practices in. So, I, And, oh, by the way, the top four running backs scored at least one touchdown against a defense that typically doesn't allow many rushing touchdowns throughout the year. They're always in, I think, the top three or top five for fewest rushing touchdowns allowed. Uh but, man, Liddell Betts has got to be feeling really good about that running back depth. I mean, that was one of my biggest question marks about this team. But the, at least on Saturday, they produced at a high level and they took care of the football. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, while it was only one practice, too, I I think getting the – just hearing what Kirk and, you know, the other coaches mentioned, I think it's pretty clear that Goodson is – Goodson and Kelly Martin are at the top, too. But I mentioned it, I think, in one of my uh, – things that are rode in the last couple of days that I think the Williams are going to battle it out for that number three spot throughout the whole season. I think, I think those two would be really good complementary backs for each other. Once Kelly Martin and Goodson are gone, who knows when that will be. Um, they have at least two more or this year and another year with each other. But I think those two would be really good complementary backs to each other. But right now it's like, you know, you don't want to talk about injuries, but I think, you have to solidify a third back. And while, you know, it's a situational thing, I think it all, yeah, it all depends on what situation you're in and, you know, how the defense is playing you, how the defensive line is getting through the gaps, how the offensive line's blocking. It kind of relies on that a little bit. Um, you know, if you're playing on grass or turf, like let's, let's talk about last year, Tyler Goodson, Penn State game, couldn't really do much on the turf or on the grass, but um Sargent was able to do what he could do on that on that grass better than Goodson could, and mm-hmm. that was the difference in that game. I, I think so. I know it was a blowout, but um, that I felt like was really helping the chains move offensively. So, I yeah, and I was really impressed with Kelly Martin too. I know he talked about on Friday that he really felt he was moving well, better than he expected, and Bet said the same. So that was really encouraging to see. And I think I I've heard this too that. You know, I think Kylie Martin's a really complimentary back to Goodson, but I think he's more on the elusive side than Sargent was. You know, yeah. I think he's closer to Goodson in that regard. And I know there's, you know, kind of been a couple question marks here and there, but I think when you're talking big playmaking ability, 
I think he's on the level, not on the level of Goodson, but I think he's closer to the level of Goodson than Sargent is in that regard. And you know, that's, that's a good thing, but also like Makai Sargent, like that guy, you know, he kept his legs moving. He would not stop. And I think that's going to be something that as a number two back, I think I want to see Kelly Martin do more of that this year than maybe he had, he's had in years past. I know he can get to that second level. I know he can break out and make a big play, as we saw his true freshman year against Nebraska. But, you know, can he fight for those extra yards like Sargent can? I think he's going to be a really good guy in the in the passing game too, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be for screens or um, wheel routes or, you know, all the above. It's going to be really fascinating to see how he's used when he's on the field. I think Goodson probably gets 85% maybe 80% of the carries this year, but Kelly Martin probably falls into that 15, 20%. And who knows, maybe, you know, we get 5% from one of the Williams in barring a situation. But, you know, I think on like kind of just to sum it up, I think Kelly Martin's going to be a formidable number two back, but how, I guess, how, how can he be like a Makai Sargent? Because oh, those are hard to come by. And he, yeah, you talk about Makai Sarge. Remember, he tied for Goodson with Goodson for touchdowns last year at seven. Uh, and I think if you talk about a guy that doesn't keep, you know, doesn't stop moving his feet, doesn't stop, you know, moving his legs, I think Gavin Williams fits that mold. I, I think he's already got that part nailed down, which is why I think he can be that consistent five to six yard carry caliber guy. Uh, but I think Iowa fans should be feeling pretty good about the running backs. But now let's talk about probably one of the more important storylines hanging in this season, Sean, the quarterback. Uh, I think Spencer showed some good growth on Saturday. And if there was any questions still about who's going to be a starting quarterback, I know it's only one practice we got to see, Sean, but it was answered on Saturday. It was. I mean, Spencer Petrus was far and away the best quarterback on the field. Completed about 65, 67% of his passes, which is what you want to see out of him this year. I think that 65% threshold is going to be the key to Iowa season. If he can make that sort of jump, I think Nate Stanley always said he wanted to get around 65%. Um, the receiver, I mean, and, and I think that Petrus, I thought he overthrew a couple passes. He started off very slow, but I thought he threw a great ball to Arlen Bruce, true freshman wide receiver down the field. I think on his fourth, third or fourth pass attempt, Sean, that was a great Great throw just out of the reach of Riley Moss. And Arlen made an outstanding play on that, too, the way he played that and the way he was able to come down with that. I thought he made some good passes over the middle. He went through his options. He was making – there was only a couple questionable decisions as far as where he threw the football. But I think when you look at Alex Padilla and Deuce Hogan, I thought thought Padilla did a really good job in that second half of that scrimmage. I think he really bounced back because that first half was as poor of football as I've seen Padilla play in the times we've been able to watch him. Uh, but him and Hogan, I think at times, both just forced, you know, the ball and the, these windows that just weren't there and they weren't going to fit. There was a couple interceptions. Uh, we'll talk about the secondary here in a minute. Terry Roberts was outstanding. And I think, you know, I know you wrote something on him today for our VIP members. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Spencer's far and away the no, quarterback number one. I think he commanded the field better. And I think a very important thing that's been, again, not overlooked, but maybe not discussed as much. One of the biggest things I, I took away from Friday's media day, Sean, was he missed over 30 days of summer workouts last year because of, two, I think, two or three separate contact tracing due to COVID-19. He never got the virus. And you combine that with missing spring, that's a lot of lost development time. And you talk about how important the timing is and chemistry is between the receiver and, and quarterback. That's when you really get that chemistry down. You can run all the routes in the world that you want uh, at high school fields or whatever, but it's impossible to simulate in-game reps. It's impossible to simulate a normal fall camp. I mean, that's what all this is for and spring. So now I think that Spencer's had a full spring, a full summer. I think we saw the timing was much better and we saw that on display on Saturday. So he's got to come out sharp, obviously, in the first two weeks. But I, I, for the most part, I think you could definitely see how much Petrus has grown as opposed to where he was at last year. Yeah, and I thought that point that Kirk made on uh, Friday was really interesting, too, with 
how long he was in quarantine. I did he mention that last year? I honestly can't remember. No, and I I, I don't think so. I think they mentioned the spring, and I think they yeah, said it was an unusual summer. And I think it's also worth noting, Sean. I think you got to give props to Spencer because he took a lot of criticism, a lot of criticism from fans, uh, media, but the way he got in front of, I think the media every single week and he never referred to missing that many days of summer development. I, I think that shows the caliber of leader that he is. And I think you got to give him props for that. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, talking about the spring or talking about the scrimmage the other day, the practice, you know, I don't think Iowa is going to try and be too complicated or, you know, kind of show what's in, more in the bag during those practices because they know they got people like us recording it and, you know, overreacting to every snap, everything, every block, every pass, every throw. So, and, you know, teams are going to want that advantage um, and, you know, kind of pick, kind of take anything they can get to get some early season scouting. So they're not going to try and make things too, too complicated or kind of show what they can do. But yeah, I think, I think a couple people on our message boards pointed it out too, that, they counted like 65% completion or something like that. I might've, you know, not included one or two clips because there was a, uh, cause I don't know, something with the files in my, in my computer, but yeah, um, I think it was around that thresh, that threshold, that mark right there. And, you know, I think that's all you can ask for. And I think that's a really, that's going to be replicative of Petrus's stat line in most games. You know, he's not going to be, 15 for 20 and throw for 300 yards. He's going to be 15 for 22, 23, 16 for 22, 16 and 25, and throw for, you know, maybe 220, 230 yards. Yeah. I think with the run game that Iowa has this year, you can get away with that. And especially if the defense lives up to the capabilities that it has, you know, if the off, if the defensive line can take on that next step, I think, that's a very solid stat line that you can work with. Yeah. 220, 230 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, three touchdowns. You know, you prefer no interceptions, but maybe throw one interception in there. I think that's all you can ask for at this, at this point for this season, especially. This is, I think, one of the more interesting talking points. I think Scott Dockman pointed this out on the, on Twitter when, kids day and the scrimmage was concluded it was the first time at least since he's been on the beat that the offense outplayed the defense and Kirk basically said the same thing post he said usually we can't gain a yard but Sean this is where I want to talk with you about I think it's a good thing that the offense outplayed the defense and like I'm not I mean I'm not sugarcoating anything the defense has to be better than what they show on Saturday but if you would rather have it one way or the other, knowing Iowa football, you want the offense to outplay the defense. It, in my opinion, I think that it showed off what talent Iowa has at wide receiver. The quarterback took a step forward. I still think there's some question marks. Uh, offensive tackle, like we talked about earlier, the running back depth was good. And man, I know you were in the stands with me when we heard Phil Parker near the end of practice. He, uh, some choice words that will not be repeated on this podcast, but you talk about a guy that was laser focused on getting back to the locker room and back to the tunnel after the practice. I mean, he made a V line right when it was over, Sean, you could tell he was heated about it. And I think when you talk about Phil Parker and the reputation that he has and what, you know, what you're going to get out of his defenses, he, I think it's going to be the best thing for this defense right now that they struggled. And I think that I'm very interested to see how they come out uh, on week one, because that's probably the next time we're going to be able to watch them. But what, what do you make of the offense all playing the defense? Again, I, I think it's a good thing, and I think it shows where Iowa can take a step forward, and if the defense can reach its normal level and Iowa's offense looked like it did on Saturday, they got a shot to win the West, I think, for sure. Yeah, it was it was really weird to see that because it seems like all the spring practices that we've been able to go to – the defense just absolutely dominated the offense. And, you know, you kind of go in expecting that, but that was not the case on Saturday. And I thought that was really intriguing too. And, you know, I think I talk about the defensive line and worrying about it a little bit, 
But I think you have to remember that Iowa didn't have Noah Shannon, didn't have Louis Steck, who I think could be a contributor this year, didn't have Logan Jones, who is hopeful to come back at the end of the year, towards the end of the year. We don't really – it's kind of unclear there. And I just thought we're kind of, you know, out of – not out of sorts, but I thought the offensive line, I think you have to give props to the offensive line too for their play. And I thought the running backs were really good too. So I don't want to look too far into it, but I think it's definitely a sign of encouragement to see that. Now I would have liked to see a little bit more in the passing game. I know that's kind of unrealistic and I might be asking for too much because, you know, you're not going to show your cards at this point in the season, especially when the media Mm -hmm. is right in front. Um, and it's present, especially so, with well, Sassy Kirk too. On Friday, said, "Oh, if you could go to practice every day, but you can't because I'm not yeah. going to let you." Yeah, that was a that was another thing too. Um, so, I mean, I I was encouraged by it. I think it's definitely uh, it's optimistic. I think you have to think optimistically about it. I know the defense; you would like to see them dominate, but you know they've said before that the defense has dominated the last couple of uh practices and throughout fall camp and this was the first time in a while that the offense has really looked this good and I think that's encouraging but I also think it's not time to worry about the defense in any regard that's kind of where I'm at I mean if there's a couple things you really don't question about Iowa football the defense how ready they're going to be as a whole I think I mean just Phil Parker's resume and usually the O-line play, which is very interesting considering that that's basically our two biggest questions uh, right now coming out of the scrimmage and all that. Uh, but a couple of positions, I do want to break down at least this. I mean, the secondary, I think we kind of got what we expected. Uh, it, the good news is, is worth noting that Kayvon Merriweather, who did leave the scrimmage with a, like a collarbone or a shoulder issue, Kirk did not seem worried about it. Uh from everything I'm aware of. And this is interesting, Sean. I don't know. Did you watch the video of who's like the like the funniest guy on the team that Iowa football released? Yeah, I did. Kayvon Merriweather is in uniform. I'm really wondering when they recorded that and how long it really took him to edit. I thought someone said that in the uh, photos that they posted that he was practicing for Monday's practice. Yeah, and I mean, if that's the case, and that's fantastic, and like I said, Kirk basically said that, you know, he didn't seem really worried about it whatsoever. I uh, said the initial report was good, and I mean, Kate, we, we saw Kayvon in front of us after he took off the pads and everything. He was stretching his arms out. I mean, he was all the way up. I mean, I'm no doubt it probably hurt and something definitely happened, but I think he's going to be all right. The secondary, I think you know what you're going to get out of him. Terry Roberts, I thought, was fantastic. Uh, the special teams plays really translating to defense, but Sean, I think the receivers, they look sharp. I thought Tyrone did some good things. I think Keegan did some really good things, but man, Arlen Bruce, he, he has to be on the field. He's got to be on the field this fall. And I think even from week one, I think what he, what he showed on Saturday, what he showed in spring ball, he's probably one of the better. And Kellen Copeland said this too on Friday. I mean, he's not describing him as a receiver. He just said he's an all-around, really talented football player. And I think that's exactly what we we saw on Saturday. And I think he's going to need to be on the field as well. Keegan, I think, needs to be on the field with what he showed. The one guy who I really am still kind of waiting for that big practice, that big moment. I mean, to be fair, I don't think we saw him in spring, Sean. But Nico Regani just didn't really seem to do that much. Uh on Saturday, and I mean, there's only limited reps. The ball can only get around so much, but I really don't remember a big play from Nico on Saturday unless I'm I'm completely in the wrong here. Yeah, I went through most of the clips, and I didn't see I didn't see him either. I don't know how many snaps exactly he was out there for. Um, I'm not too worried about Nico when it comes to that. I thought the defense did a pretty good job on him. I thought the defense did a fine job limiting Tyrone outside of a couple receptions too. Yeah. And Charlie Jones, I, I don't remember seeing the whole ton of Charlie Jones. But, you know, I think that's kind of on purpose, too, given that Iowa's play calls and, you know, not wanting to show too much. I know we saw Sam Laporta a couple times. I believe Luke Lachey came down with the reception. I know that Josiah Meeman had a couple as well, which was really encouraging. But, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, you know, overanalyze the wide receivers too much after that one practice. I kind of feel like that was on purpose. 
a little bit that they did that. But, I mean, I could see where the concern is a little bit with, you know, Nico and having that big practice wasn't out there for the spring. Um, we'll see what happens with him. I think he's can be, you know, I think he can have a similar impact to, uh, as Nick Easley had yeah. a couple of years ago, being that reliable, reliable slot guy. And I think Deontay Vines is going to come into that role eventually as well, which was good to see him uh, score that touchdown, quote unquote, touchdown um, in the, in the practice. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried too about the, the uh, wide receivers yet. I feel like that'll, that'll figure itself out. And Nico's got the experience to rely on too. And I think this is from my standpoint, Sean, I think they're farther along the wide receiver room as a whole is farther along than what I remember seeing of any scrimmage. Like as a group, they are better right now than they've been. So I think that is encouraging for sure. And I'm eager to see sort of how that's going to carry over into Saturday and how Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson, them are going to really kind of live in the moment because they can make all these plays and standout practices, but until there's 70,000 fans watching your every move and a national televised audience, you know, that that'll be the next test for them. And quite honestly, Sean, that's going to be a test for Spencer Petras because he's never played significant snaps under in a crowd setting. Um, So that'll be something to watch as well, but no, I, I, I'm encouraged, I think, about this Iowa team from what I saw. I do want to see Sam Laporta continuing to take that next step forward. Uh, media day, again, I thought was really good to be able to talk to a lot of those guys. Uh, Tory Taylor still Tory Taylor. Uh, and something else we haven't really talked about, Sean, but Caleb Shudak I thought was pretty, pretty solid from a kicking perspective. I think he missed one 52-yarder on the left to the left, but he was hitting a 50-yard field goal. He was doing all this other stuff. I, I thought he looked all right as well. So I think there's some good things to take away. I think there's some definite question marks, but it's I do feel all right about the offense. I really do, uh, as opposed to years past. I think the biggest thing for me is how is the old line going to hold up and can Spencer Petrus carry that same command knowing that he's going to get hit because I think that's a big deal as well. I think it's easier to be – comfortable in the pocket and to do all these other things when you have a no contact jersey on and nobody's going to come, you know, 290 pounds is not going to come flying at you running 15 miles an hour. Uh, so I, I'm eager to see that. Uh, we, we got a bunch of questions in our mailbag, Sean, but really quick, I do just want to mention this as well. Uh, we have a two day sale going on, get 75% off an annual subscription fall camp special Hawkeye all the latest Iowa news analysis scoop and everything else. I think we got some, I don't think I'm underselling it when I say we got some big plans this, this fall and what we're going to do to continue to expand our coverage. A lot of really, really big things are coming to 24 seven sports and I'm, I'm absolutely ecstatic about it. And I, I'm really just excited to see where the future of our coverage is going to go. Come along for the ride, 75% off hawkeyeinsider.com. Go to hawkeyeinsider.com for the details or at David Eichel or at sbach 247 Sean, before we get into our mailbag, I do want to have a couple of house cleaning notes about some Iowa basketball news. Uh, Luca Garza doing what he, at least what I expected him to do, but getting a two-way contract with the Detroit Pistons as of yesterday. Very, very big news. He's been every single game, Sean, he's gotten better uh, in the summer. Like he had nine and four, I think the first game. And then I think he had 12 and, and seven, I want to say. Then he had three straight double doubles. And last night went for 21 points, 15 rebounds, shortly after signing that two-way contract. So it is kind of funny to me. I think a lot of Pistons fans were excited about picking Luca, but it was a very much sort of hit or miss. You know, they were like either really ecstatic or like not really. There was no like middle line. But then after he got the two-way deal, everybody was at least from what I read, I was pretty angry. He didn't get a guaranteed contract uh, for the season. But I mean, Sean, what was your kind of takeaway? I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised Luca's doing what Luca's doing quite honestly. Introducing the two way V4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell. Each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience, maximum comfort throughout the game. It's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, um, 
Sorry, I'm just typing some. Um, yeah, I I think Luca. You know, I want to. When it comes to the summer league, I want to take everything with a grain of salt, especially given that you know, fifteen, maybe ten to fifteen percent, maybe twenty, but more ten to fifteen, I think, are actually going to be on an NBA roster. Yeah. That's like, am I am I wrong in saying that or no? I I would hover closer to twenty because usually most of the first round picks are guaranteed roster spots, but right. then you also have like the second like I don't want to say unproven second year third year guys, but they they're there as well and they're probably going to be on there, but they just they wanted to get extra run in the summer. Yeah, no, I I totally get that. Um, but I just I think I think he can if he gets the right team, I think he can stick. My question is, you know, is he going to find that right team? You know? I I had an interesting talk yesterday with a few people being like, you know, are teams going to be willing to stick with Garza given like knowing his limitations on the court? And I thought I thought it was interesting because he did look, I think he did look a little more nimble on the floor i know yeah. he's still kind of a little slow but and i think to that clip of him getting a shot blocked a couple of times was a little you know the big concern coming into this but you know i just if he finds the right spot i think he can stick but if he doesn't i'm curious to see if he could have a career similar to tyler cook where he's kind of bouncing around but i think he'll be more stable than cook yeah but I'm just very, I don't know. I, I'm still, I want to be optimistic about it, but I'm just not not ready to be that yet. The, the thing that surprised me, Sean, is he's rebounding the ball better than I thought he would. And, yeah. and that's nothing to do with his relentlessness or anything like that, but obviously the athletic. I mean, there's just pure athletes in the NBA. But I mean, he had, I think, 15 and 10 at half last night in 13 minutes. I yeah. mean, he's rebounding the ball better. And I think that, his shot blocking, he's even shown a little bit of that. I mean, he blocked a guy going for a reverse dunk at the rim. I mean, I can't remember the last time we saw Luca do that. I think he's hitting, I mean, he's shooting 43% from three, uh, but shooting well from the free throw line until I think last night. But he's done some really good things. I'm interested to see what happens. Um, and by the way, for people who don't know what a two way contract is, teams are permitted to have two players on a two way contract at any given time throughout the season in addition to a 15 normal man regular season roster players under two way contract will be permitted to be on NBA teams active list for no more than 50 games during the regular season, no limit on practices, workouts, or activities with that team. But the big key is there's only players with three or fewer years of NBA experience are able to sign two way contracts, which can either be for one or two seasons. And Garza can work his way into a guaranteed contract from a two way contract during the regular season. So We'll see what happens. I think he can be a dominant player on the in the G League for sure, but I do think he's going to get some run with the Pistons, and if he plays well against the NBA's top talent, I think he can find a way to stick on the roster. Uh, Scott Dockman from The Athletic reported last night that Joe Wieskamp will also be signing a two-way deal with the San Antonio Spurs. I, I thought Wieskamp, Sean, has shot at a guaranteed contract, but I think right now he's not shooting the ball well enough from deep. But I did see some encouraging things. I think he was rebounding the ball very well. And something I think he didn't do in college, he started to show last year, his last year in college. He was going to the rim when his three-point shot wasn't falling. And he was, fin- he was finishing well around the rim, pulling up off screens for mid-range jumpers and converting them. I think he will get a guaranteed contract sometime throughout the year. But I, it doesn't surprise me just based on the way he's shooting the three ball right now that it sounds like it's going to be a two-way deal. This is not officially done, but Scott Dockerman from the athletic did report that. Uh, so I'm eager to see what happens. I think his game translates the NBA and pop system very well, but at the end of the day, he's got to be able to shoot the ball consistently, which I think he'll be able to recover from. And before we get into our mailbag, one quick final note, uh, Iowa's Caitlin Clark, Three-time gold medalist at 19 years old, Sean. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. MVP for the FIBA uh, World Cup. Dominant performance from the United States. And Caitlin continues to, I think, sort of ascend in worldwide popularity just as far as being one of the more marketable women's basketball players in the country. 
And uh, no better time, I think, for her to really set off her name, image, and likeness than uh, releasing some limited edition stuff, which she said will be coming here soon. So I'm interested to see how that sort of sells. And I think that will be a big thing in Iowa, Sean. I think she's going to be one of the more uh, more one of the more uh, profitable athletes at Iowa, and she's got three more years to do that as well. So congratulations to Caitlin. But Sean, now let's let's dive into our mailbag. I think we got plenty of questions from people. Uh, we talked about this a little uh, a little bit, but let's go back into it. Will the defensive line be the weak link for Iowa's success this year? W- where are you kind of taking on that? Do you think that's the X factor going into the season? Is that going to be the weak link? And how much better do you think they need to get uh, to win the West? Defensively, I think maybe, especially because you have to realize like they're pretty thin when it comes to experience. And I think that could be critical at some moments, especially in the first couple games of the season. I think to start the year, it'll be, it'll be kind of a, could be the weak link, but I think it could get better as the year goes on. I, I mean, I'm not going on a limb there, but I think yeah. it'll be, <laughs> I think it'll be better. I do too. I mean, in-game reps solve everything. You know, Sean, I'll say this. I think they'll take a dramatic jump from week two to week three. After going up against Indiana, after going against Iowa State, and then coming back against maybe a Kent State and Colorado State, I think before Iowa really gets into the nitty-gritty Big Ten season, I think they'll be able to see a big jump in play. Um, but as far as the keys for the defense, yeah, I do. I think that's the key for Iowa's success because even the best secondaries in the country, Sean, can only guard for so long, can only defend wide receivers for so long. You can't allow a quarterback to sit in the pocket, especially when you think about all the talented quarterbacks that the Big Ten has. And when you're going up against, you know, again, Kent State had an explosive passing offense last year. Uh, Brock Purdy, they returned everybody for Iowa State. Indiana, Michael Penix is going to be back. I mean, they got – what is Ty, Ty Freifogel's back again, isn't he? Yeah, Ty Freifogel's back. Watt Filer's gone. I mean – they got some dudes like the I was going to have to get pressure on these quarterbacks. He's uh, even the best secondaries and linebacking course can only do so much for so long. So I'm not worried about Iowa's linebackers. I'm certainly not worried about the secondary at all. Um, I think defensive line is going to be the big thing. Uh, Sean, I, I don't know how much you know about this yet because we are so caught up in, in football, obviously for Friday, Saturday and most of Sunday, but what do you know, if anything, about the new 2022 offer? Iowa seems like Iowa staff's gone back and forth on whether or not to take a big man, but you know he doesn't strike me as as a pure center. He probably strikes me as more of a four. But what's kind of your initial take on Iowa's latest 2022 offer? Yeah, it's been pretty quiet on that front. I mean, I'm trying my best to get info there, but it's been uh, relatively quiet. And yeah, he's a high upside guy. Really took off um, Dominic Barlow out of uh, New Jersey is who we're referring to, um, really took off this offseason, uh, especially on the AAU circuit with the New York Rens. Same high school or same AAU team as uh, former Iowa top target Kyle Filipowski. So the Iowa staff really saw Barlow a lot throughout the year and throughout the summer and spring. It was keeping a close eye on him. Um, and, you know, it led to an offer. Right now I've heard that Pitt is the main one to watch here. He took an official visit down there in the uh in june and that's the only official visit he has locked in so far couldn't really give you a great feel if he plans to take an official visit to iowa this year he's got a lot of offers that have come in i think iowa's got a decent shot at getting him on campus for official visit we'll see um i think it's encouraging that they entered the race but i'm not fully certain at this point i'll have a better idea on that in the next couple weeks but yeah, I mean, when it comes to basketball offers, I think we could see a couple more of them. I'm not guaranteeing that. I think Iowa, of the three official visitors that we've confirmed this year so far, or this fall, for this fall so far, I think they got a really good shot at at least one of them being Josh Dix. And I think they're right there for Tyler Nickel and Jackson Kohler, two four-star forwards, top 100 guys who could play different positions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be really encouraging. I mean, a lot of programs aren't, you know, you're not getting the typical teams recruiting these um, top 100 guys because, you know, they're looking in the transfer portal or, you know, they have spots that 
you know, they already have filled up. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I think Iowa's got a shot at two at landing, you know, potentially two top 100 guys in this class, already having one in DeSante Bowen, four-star point guard coming out of Worcester Academy um, in New Hampshire, committed back in June to Iowa. Um, have a good shot at Josh Dix, who I think could potentially be a top 150 guy, maybe yeah. top 175. And then, you know, Jackson Bart or Jackson Kohler and uh, Tyler Nickel, I think Iowa is right there for both of those guys. So the fall is going to be really fascinating. I think Iowa is a really good chance of getting their best class in, uh, in, pro, or in the Fran McCaffrey era, at least. I think it's really good, really good shot of having that happen. I think Tyler Nickel, if I, you know, for Iowa's wish list, I think Tyler Nickel is would be the, near the top, at least in my eyes, because I think he's a dynamic scorer. I think he'd fit really, really well offensively with Fran's system, and he strikes me as a guy who, again, straight bucket. I think he'd fit in really well with Iowa's offense. But like you said, I think getting Kohler would be a big boost as well. Uh, let's see. Were there any sacks or hurries caused by the defensive line at Kids Day? Yeah. Uh, there, there were plenty, I think, but it, it, you only can take them with a grain of salt, I think, Sean, because we, who knows if they actually would have been able to, you know, if they could hit the quarterback, if they could, you know, get guys out of the backfield. Like it's, it's, it's almost kind of awkward to watch because you could see Deontay Craig running full speed or Van Valkenburg running full speed then slowing up and just tapping them on the shoulder or something like that. But who knows if Spencer would have been able to, you know, navigate his way out of it. Uh, escape the pocket, make a throw. Who knows if you would have fumbled? Like, there's really no way. I, it just depends on the person how many sacks or hurries you really want to give. I, I mean, I think without a doubt, the top two for me were Van Valkenburg and Evans, and I think Deontay Craig had a handful as well. But Evans off the edge, I was pretty pretty surprised with. Impressed yeah, he's with fast. Yeah, he's fast. He's twitchy. He's got a lot of. Uh... He's going to be good. I think he could be a breakout guy. That's what Zach Van Valkenburg told me at Big Ten Media Days, and I, I think I'm going to take his word for it. Uh, were there any new injuries after the kids' day scrimmage? No. I mean, just Kayvon Merriweather, but like Sean and I talked about earlier, I think Kayvon's going to be good to go, which is a very, very good thing because I really like Kayvon's upside. If he can just continue to stay healthy and get in-game reps, I mean, he freak athlete. Uh, a heavy hitter, and I think he understands the defense. I think he complements Jack Kerner's skill set pretty well there. Uh, is Mason Richmond currently the first team left tackle? If if so, where do you see Plum? Does he move to right tackle? Again, I think Sean and I hit on that earlier. I think it's still an open battle for who's going to take that spot, Plum or Richmond. And at this point, unless something changes over the course of camp, Nick DeJong is going to be the, the starting right tackle. Uh, and I think that was solidified with what we saw on Saturday for the most part. Uh, any chance the NCAA will adopt an injury report similar to the NFL in today's marketplace? It only makes sense. That's a very interesting thing. I think that's going to just depend on the conference, but I can tell you that Kirk would not be a fan of it. Jim Harbaugh certainly would not be a fan of it. And I think it's going to get heavy pushback from a lot of the coaches. Sean, but when you talk about, you know, legalized sports gambling, especially in Iowa, and I think it's legal now in Michigan as well. I mean, these are good things that people are going to need to know. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's a slight chance, but I, I'm curious what sort of jurisdiction the NCAA would have over that. I think it's going to break down just depending on the conference in short, it's the answer. And I think the coaches are going to be heavily against that. So, We'll see. I, I, I don't think it's a bad idea, though. Uh, any more recruiting predictions post-September visits? Uh, Sean, I don't think you have any current crystal ball predictions out. I could be wrong about that. Uh, do you even want to go down that rabbit hole quite yet? <laughs> um, You kind of did earlier. Yeah, I did for basketball. I think if I had to predict right now for football – I would say that Xavier Nwankpa goes to Notre Dame. That would be my prediction right now. I think Iowa's still in the race. I think that's really encouraging to see that they're getting a game day visit and an official visit. I just think I'm going to give the edge to the Irish right now based on what I've been told. Brian Allen Jr., that could go either way, but I think the relationship with Jason Manson is going to be critical. 
think that's why I could give Iowa a little bit of an edge. But in terms of 2022, it's going to be really interesting to see what, for football, what new offers come about this fall because I know the staff wants to get some senior film, wants to see film with guys that, you know, didn't have a full junior year um, and all that. And I think there could be – or I know there will be more offers coming about, and I think there will be some commits as well um, in the next few months outside of ones that we're expecting here soon. So keep an eye out for that. It should be an interesting fall. I don't think there will be any 2023 commits this fall, maybe one or two, but I – I don't think I can see it yet. Probably not till springtime. Cause I mean, we're going to see a bunch of new offers go out with a normalized high school yes. football. Yeah. Yes. Uh, predict your starting five for Iowa basketball this winter. I should say, I think it's, I think it's a no brainer in my book. Um, I really don't know how it goes any other way than this. As of right now, I got Joe Toussaint starting at the point guard. I got Jordan Bohannon at the two. A little bit of worry there for me, though, just because I think that's not ideal size for a one and two guard. Uh, I have Patrick McCaffrey at the three. I have Keegan at the four. And I have Philip Robracha at the five. I think Connor's going to be the sixth man coming off the bench. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I was talking with someone about this yesterday. And I think you could, well, you could obviously interchange Patrick or Keegan at the three yeah. and four, which is really good. And I think you have it set with, you know, Joe and Jordan at one and two. Um, and then Robracha as well. What have, what have you heard about Robracha lately and his how he's kind of adjusted to the program? You know, I think he's been good. Uh, I, I think he fits really well with the offense. The guys really like him a lot. He's been putting in a lot of extra work. I've heard good things about the way he's shooting the ball, which if he can be a stretch five, Sean, I think that's a really, really big deal. Uh, I still – I still think there's some worry. I don't want to say from those within the program, but on the outside looking in, I still think there's some worry about how he's going to be able to go up against huge Big Ten caliber fives. I think we see what EJ Liddell can do, but Liddell's also a different breed of an athlete. We see what Trace Jackson Davis can do, but he's also, again, a different breed of an athlete. But then you have Kofi Coburn. I mean, I, I think Iowa's best defense against him is going to be throwing in Joshua Gundelay because he's the only one that can match up size-wise. We saw at least a couple of strings of last year, what we saw against him. I think Phillips could do well in the system. I think he's easily a 14 and seven guy, 14, six and a half guy. Uh, but I do think the offense primarily going to be around Keegan, number one. I think it should be when you have a first round pick who could potentially work his way up into a lottery pick if he shoots the ball well enough from deep. So, again, it's going to be very interesting. I think Fran could go a lot of different ways because I think Riley Mulvey might have to get minutes this year. Josh Ogundale might have to get minutes, but then you look at, could we see lineups of, you know, Jordan Bohannon moving the one, Sean, then you have Chris Murray, Keegan Murray, uh, pa uh, Patrick McCaffrey and Philip Robracha, or maybe throw Tony Perkins in and then have a small lineup of Patrick, Keegan, Chris, Tony, and Joe. I mean, there's a lot of different ways about this and I really don't think we're gonna get any solidified answers until games start rolling around so again I think Phillips could be fine and he's got the experience and I think he's got the leadership if he can become a better rim protector that's gonna be the key for Iowa's can he really shut down you know not shut down but even if he's like an Adam Woodbury in terms of he's not gonna record a lot of blocks but he, he just alters shots I think that's what they're hoping to sort of get out of him uh, a couple more questions here before we wrap this up uh i may have missed this somewhere else but tyler barnes says something like we'd hear good news on a couple of recruits over the next two weeks is he referring to sean patterson and brian allen jr i mean sean it's pretty yes but it's also worth noting that illinois coach brett bielema also alluded to hearing some good news which could be about brian allen as well correct I think Bielma said there's a recruit making the decision soon. Okay. Okay. I think that's I'm I think that's what I heard. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Patterson's the other. He's announced. He's set to announce tonight at I believe 6 p.m. Central, uh, along with some of his yeah. teammates that at uh, other local restaurants. So we'll see what happens there. Stage you no know, Hawkeye insider for that. Uh, we talked about defensive line. 
Who has been the standout performers at camp thus far, according to some people in the know? I can give a couple on offense and you can flip around defense. I heard Justin Jacobs is taking his game to a different level. I think he's going to be a guy that if, when Iowa runs a 4-3, I'm very interested to see, Sean, if he, they try to work in some Raider package with him. I think he'd be a really, really effective weapon there. Uh, if he can just be a better better in pass coverage, I think that's going to be the biggest key for him. I've heard Justin's played really well. Uh, I've also been a big fan of I think Riley Moss is continuing to really, really establish himself as a really – I'll say underappreciated corner, Sean. I mean, he's been a pretty consistent performer, I think, throughout his Iowa career. Obviously, a lot of his interceptions have come against Minnesota. I think four of his six career interceptions are against Minnesota. But he's done some really nice things. I've heard he's done really well. Uh, I mean, Arlen Bruce, I think you can make a case that Arlen Bruce has been the most impressive freshman wide receiver. I think Keegan's I want to say more likely to play because I think they're both, I, th- I think they're both going to play based on everything that we've seen. So I'll give the two freshmen, the nod Tyler Goodson's what you're getting expecting out of Tyler Goodson. Spencer Petrus has been up and down. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but Kirk said that it was his best performance of camp was on Saturday during the scrimmage. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so th- those are a couple guys I've seen, and I, I've, I've also heard Kayvon Merriweather is close to taking that next step. And if he can take that next step during the season, I think that's going to be a very, very big boost, especially when you pair him with Jack Kerner uh, in, in those safety spots. Yeah, you hit on most of the ones I was going to talk about. I know Kirk mentioned with Sean Williams the other day, and we saw that um, – we saw the next day what he could do. Um, so that was really encouraging to see, uh, you know, you mentioned Justin Jacobs. That was the guy I was going to talk about. Jack Campbell has done a good job setting the tone at that linebacker spot. Clearly the top guy along with Seth Benson. We'll be interested to see how they kind of work about those three. Um, Seth Wallace mentioned to me that they're going to move those guys around a little bit um, throughout practice, kind of get them locked down on different spots, which would be really good for all of them. And, you know, you've hit on those guys. I mean, Connor Colby's been good. Yep. We've mentioned that. Avery Kelly Martin's been really impressive with how he's been able to fight back. I think Tyrone Tracy is going to be another guy, too, that I think is capable of, you know, making the leap as well. Um, but you mentioned Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson. I, I think I have a hard time seeing Iowa keeping those guys off the field this year, too. I also want to throw in Deontay Craig in that category of guys that have been really good and the thing that was su- not surprising me a little bit sean but nothing like outwardly deontay craig working a little bit inside and i think that's kelvin bell's way of saying hey look you're gonna learn every position we're putting our best four guys out there and that's exactly what they're gonna do um so i think those are a couple guys you're really gonna want to keep an eye on um i'm trying to think if there's any premier backup sean that we we've missed uh I mean, Josiah Miaman, I mean, I, I, I don't know how consistent he's been through camp, but he was surprising to me a little bit, I think, uh, at least on Saturday. with He had a one-handed grab, which is fantastic. But I, I think those are some of the standout guys that at least I've heard through the grapevine, I think, what we saw on Saturday. And, and Sean, this is our last question before we wrap this up. Uh, what would have caused more overreaction from the fans, the offense looking better last Saturday or the defense? I would say the offense. Yeah. Because I feel like people are going to know what you're going to get with the Iowa defense more often than not. But the offense was really spectacular compared to what has been the buzz previously. I think so too. But I also, you know, I also think back, Sean, to how many times like we've watched these scrimmages and they've scored like three touchdowns the entire day. And everybody's just, oh, another year of, you know, mediocre, you know, whatever, right? Mediocre offense, what's going to happen? Uh, I am going to go – I'm going to go with what you said, though, too. I, I think the offense, because now at least – now, I think there's some sort of confidence level, but I also think there's a higher expectation of what this offense can do. Uh, but, again, it, it's what we've limited to to one practice, and it's hard for us. It's almost, it's almost an impossible task for us, Sean, to watch one practice – articulate our thoughts about it and who stands out. 
And then people wonder why they don't look the same come week one or week two. And it's because, well, we, we watch one practice. Like we can talk to people between the grapevines and all that, but what matters is the product on the field. So right. it's, it's a, it's a tough task, but it is what it is. But uh, we'll have another one of these here next week. Uh, hope, you know, we'll see if there's some recruiting news we can talk about plenty of stuff as we continue and a countdown for an Iowa Hawkeye football season that it's gonna be very interesting. And I think Sean, when we do this next week, I'm also going to do my column next week about this and we'll record the podcast either before or after I decided to do it. I'm not sure yet. Uh, let's get our final prediction for the season, go week by week and uh, do a full schedule analysis and HawkeyeInsider.com again, 75% off an annual subscription get the latest news scoop analysis and everything you want out of your Iowa Hawkeye coverage Two twenty four a month, no better deal uh, in the market. So Hawkeye insider, David Eichel, Sean Bach, be sure to follow us at David Eichel on Twitter at S Bach two, four, seven at Hawkeyes on two, four, seven. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. From the world of Sonic, the hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher. No. Funnier. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!